Hello, welcome to the Wine of Life podcast. Um, tonight we're going to be going over Maximus the Confessor and his ten modes of uh, scriptural contemplation. Uh, he's somebody who is, um, he was a brilliant man and uh, somebody that I study a lot and uh, read a lot of and I really enjoy his, his writings and I think he'd be very useful to um, the church in our day. But he was somebody, he... Um, lived from 580 to 662. The reason he's called Confessor is because there was a controversy, a Christological controversy, and he held that Christ had two wills, a human will and a divine will. That was called a, a dithylite position. He was going against the monothelites, and um, they ended up cutting his tongue out and cutting his right hand off so that he couldn't speak anymore and that he couldn't... Um, right anymore and then he was sent into exile and he died some people say he died in a place in georgia the nation georgia um in 662 so as you can see he was a very strong-willed man he was a monk he was a theologian uh he was um somebody who genuinely believed that christ was who he said he was and uh he comes, he's one of the church fathers, he, you know, from the, the 7th century. So he also grew up in a very uh, tumultuous time. The Arab invasions were starting at that time with the um, arrival of Islam. So he was a amazing man. And um, I just want to talk about how he looked at Scripture and how he um, thought about it and the various modes that he he would go through when contemplating scripture. So the way that he viewed um, the world as such, he viewed um, the idea of there being two books, one of nature and one of scripture. And so these two books um, are viewed best in uh, a perspective that you can look through when you think about the Mount of Transfiguration. Christ in the flesh glorified. You see him as being someone who's glorified, and two things were glorified. One, his flesh was, and his face was as white uh, as white as snow, you know. And then also his garments were also white. And so the flesh counts as nature itself, as being something that God himself made. Therefore, God can be known and seen through that, which is uh, confirmed by, by by Paul's teaching about nature, that we can understand the power behind nature that exists, and the garments that Christ was wearing that also were glorified are considered like the scriptures. And so you have nature and you have the scriptures. And so the books we're going to be using are these two um, beautiful books here that were edited and translated by Nicholas Costas. Um, he was um, an associate professor at Harvard. We're going to use volume one and volume two of these and he was a he then after he left harvard he became a monk he's at um i assume he's still at mount athos in greece as a monk but these are the ambiguous now he he wrote a lot maximus did and uh these are things that are supposed to be difficulties um from the church fathers and from scripture and he wrote one an ambiguous to a man named Thomas, and another one ambiguous to a man named uh, John. They uh, they would ask him questions about writings from Gregory of Nyssa and or, or the other Gregory and uh, other people, and he would then discuss those difficulties, or they they might be a question from Scripture. And so, I think these were the first ones that they did in English, um, and they're they're really great. They have um, 
if I can open one up for you, I'll show you. They have both the Greek and the English side by side. So they're very, very cool and um, very interesting. But what I was going to read for you is how he sees this. In Ambigua 10 to John, um, let me go back here, one page. Here we go. I'm going to read this for you. Uh, this is in section 18 on the contemplation of the natural and written laws and the concurrence of the one in the other through their reciprocal interchange. He says, The natural law, on the one hand, is to the highest possible degree evenly directed by reason through the marvelous physical phenomena that we see, which are naturally interconnected so that the harmonious web of the universe is contained within it like the various elements in a book. So nature is like a book. For letters and syllables, it has physical bodies, these being the first things that come to our attention. And since they are proximate and particular, having acquired density through the conjunction of various qualities, it also has words which are more universal than these and are further removed from us and much more subtle. And it is from these that the word, being logos as in Christ, who has wisely inscribed them and is himself ineffably inscribed within them, is rendered legible when he is read by us, communicating to us solely the concept that he exists, and not what he is, for through the reverent combination of multiple impressions gathered from nature, he leads us to a unitary idea of the truth, allowing himself to be seen by analogy through visible things as their creator, just as Paul says. And then he goes on to the actual word itself, the Bible. He says, The written law, on the other hand, the knowledge of which is acquired through study is itself like another world. So both of them are worlds. Both nature is a world and the word of God is a world, constituted by all that has been wisely uttered within it, having its own heaven, earth, and what comes between them, by which I mean ethical, natural, and theological philosophy, proclaiming the ineffable power of the one who has spoken through it, showing that by virtue of their reciprocal interchange, the one law is identical to the other so that the written law is potentially identical to the natural law, and the natural law is, by its permanent condition, identical to the written law. Both laws simultaneously reveal and conceal the same word, the one through written words and whatever is visible, and the other through ideas and whatever is hidden. For when we say that the words of Holy Scriptures are garments, and he was talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, we understand from this that their inner meanings are the fleshes of the word, being logos. And thus, by means of the former we conceal, and by means of the latter we reveal. So there's a revelation, and then there's also a concealment at the same time going on. So there's mystery within the Logos, who is Christ. In the same way, we can say that the forms and shapes of created things that appear within our vision are also garments, the fleshes, of which are the principles according to which they were created. And likewise, by the former we conceal, and by the latter we reveal. For the Word, being Christ, who created the universe and established the law, is concealed in his manifestation, being invisible according to nature. So he can't be seen through nature. So there's a concealment, but at the same time, there's a revelation that we can know that there's a power behind the things that are revealed. And he is manifested through concealment, assuring those who are wise that by nature he cannot be apprehended. So he's apprehended through his word, but he can also be known that he exists through his creation. So both of them are essentially books. And we're going to talk about how he discusses these ten modes of scriptural contemplation. We're talking about the written book as it is. And in Ambigua 37, 
which we're going to read of. This is volume two. That was volume one. But in that, he discusses um, these ten modes. So we're going to go there real fast. Page 79 here. Um, here we go. If I can get this one right. It says, For according to those who study these mysteries with precision, and the lovers and devoted visionaries of the spiritual principles that pertain to them, the general principle of scriptural contemplation, though it happens to be one, is seen to expand in a tenfold manner. And these are the ten modes. By place, time, genus, person, rank, which is occupation, then it splits off into three, from those five to these three, by practical, natural, and theological philosophy, and then by present and by future, which is type and truth. And so when we think about these things, we can take any person, and he does this in Ambigua 10. He uses these ten modes to discuss various um, people within Scripture. Um, but uh, we can do that now with somebody like, let's take Abraham. Abraham, uh, what place was he in? He was in the Ur of Chaldees, and he was called to Canaan land. What time did he come? He came at a time uh, not that long after the flood, but at a time where it was distant enough, where there was various nations split up. Um, but it was also generally a peaceful time. He was able to travel, for instance, in peace. He was able to get to where he needed to go. Um, but he was out in the desert. Uh, Genus, where does he come from? Well, we know that he was um, of the line of Shem, who came from Noah. Noah, who came from Seth. Seth, who came from Adam. Uh, person, who is he? He is Abraham, who turns out to be the father of the nation of Israel, but also the father of the faith, uh, father of the of the church itself. So he's father of, of the um, chosen people of God. Rank, which is his occupation, um, he was a very wealthy man. He was a he was a shepherd. He was also a traveler. He uh, owned lots of things, lots of people. Had three hundred or so men uh, who could fight for him. He went to fight after um, uh, Lot got in trouble. If we remember that, so he was a wealthy man. And then that those five, right? Those five, which would be place, time, genus, person, rank. Those are uh, down, put down into three categories, which are practical, natural, and theological philosophy. So practical being the ethical, how did he live? Was he an ethical man? Uh, natural being what was his um, relationship to the natural world? And then theological, what were his ideas about God at the time? And these are, are, are split up in different ways, and he does this in... in um, in ambiguous 67, in page on page 291, I'm going to get there. You don't really need to know the page, but if you do want to get these books, they're available uh, on Amazon and other places. But this is what it says of these particular three when he's talking about the number 12. Now, we know that the nation of Israel was born out of the 12 uh, tribes, which came from Jacob, Jacob, which came from Isaac, Isaac, which came from Abraham. So he's connected to these. This is what he says in his study of 12 in Ambiguous 67. Uh, the number 12 could signify ethical, natural, and theological philosophy, since it is the yield of 4, 5, and 3. So from ethics, or or um, what he said in the other one, uh, where is it? I have it written down. Yeah, practical or ethical. From So from the ethic point of view, there yields 4. 
from the natural point of view, there yields five, and from the theological point of view, there, there yields three, and this is in what way? For ethical philosophy, which is the correct form of moral conduct in one's deeds, is fourfold on account of the four general virtues. Those virtues are wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance, which is the four virtues of the Greeks. Um, for um, the natural philosophy is fivefold. For the reason mentioned above, the natural division of senses, so the five senses. And then for the theological is threefold on account of the three holy consubstantial hypostasis of the all-holy monad, uh, or in which three is the holy monad, or to speak more strictly, which three are the holy monad. So he's speaking of the Trinity. Now, we don't know in what sense uh, Abraham would have known about the Trinity or not, but those are the, way, the, the three ways that you can look at um, this particular person. And then it comes to the idea of types, um, which is present and future. Now, in, in terms of types, what type was Abraham? Uh, Abraham was, for one, he's a type of uh, uh, the father of our faith. So he's a person that we look towards and somebody that we should try and be like in terms of the saints. He's somebody that we should look up to and, and copy, really. The way that he lived his life is a way that we should be living our lives within our own, obviously, our own circumstance, which is significantly different than his. But he was also a type of God the Father. Isaac being the uh, type of Christ, who is the chosen seed. Jacob being the type of the Holy Spirit, who brought forth the twelve apostles, who started over the church. Jacob brought forth the twelve tribes, who started uh, the nation of Israel. Both of the two chosen nations of God, if you read from First Peter 2, 9, the church is called the chosen nation, just as Israel was. So he's a picture of God the Father in that way. So that's how he looks at and uh, sort of studies out the Word of God, studies different people throughout the Word of God and different things. Um, and it's just very interesting, and I think it's, it can be very helpful to people. Um, you know, not everybody necessarily looks into things uh, from that, that sort of different point of view. This is obviously very, very old, the way that he thinks about certain things and the way that the ancients may have studied. But this is just a little start um, for people to think about, to think about these ten modes when you're, when you're studying somebody. So somebody like Abraham, think about the place, the time, the genus, where he comes from, the rank, which is the occupation, and think about the person that you're talking about. And then from there, you think about the practical, the natural, and the theological philosophy behind those people. What did they believe? How did they live their lives? And then from there, you think about the present and the future, or the type and the truth. Um, what were they in their present? Uh, what were they in terms of... The Old Testament is, is looked at as an example for us, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. So everything that occurred within the Old Testament is a picture for us to look at and try and, and, and copy, or try and not do it. It may be something bad. It doesn't have to be something good. We can study uh, people like King Ahab and say the things that he did were in fact bad. We need to stay away from those things. And so there's different ways to study it. There's different people you can study and for different purposes. Um, but I just wanted to bring this out uh, first uh, to talk about uh, Maximus the Confessor. These are the ten modes of his scriptural contemplation. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, and we will see you next time. Good night.